Sikkim Sports presents the Sikkim Sportscast, a look at all things Baylor from recruiting to football, basketball, as well as news concerning the Big 12. Your hosts are publisher Kevin Lodquist and managing editor Jake Shaw. Our MC is Stephen Cook. Now it's time to talk Baylor, and here's Stephen Cook. Welcome to the Sikkim Sportscast. Uh, it was a wild weekend on the recruiting front uh, with no story wilder than that one of Eric Cuffey. Uh, what's the latest, Kevin? Well, Stephen and Jake, uh, we know that uh, the Waco 2016 defensive back uh, met with the Baylor coaches earlier in the week, uh, even though obviously there was a lot of social media flurry when he had uh, did the Sikkim uh, sign when, on Sunday afternoon saying that he had committed. Well, of course, we found out otherwise that that's not necessarily the case. What we do know is that there is a lot of interest in Baylor at this point for Cuffey. He's a very well thought of recruit at this point. I do know that uh, Baylor has not offered him at this point. I do think that that will come over time. My personal opinion of this is that perhaps when he was at the camp last Friday on the Baylor campus that maybe some things that were said to him that he might have taken the wrong way thinking that Baylor was about to uh, wanting to close the deal on him and so he might have run with it in the other direction why he did that. So obviously uh, this is something that uh, had to be vetted out a little bit. And, and Jake, the good thing about us is and if we want to pat ourselves on the back here is that we really weren't, we weren't the lone wolves in, in reporting this. There was another site that did this. I know that David Smoke on uh, ESPN Central Texas was of the same information. So it wasn't like this was just um, – we were we were the lone wolves in something like this, and even if we were, I, our information was so good was so solid that that's the way we we treated this as it was, and not listening to him as a commitment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 pretty um almost intimidating when everybody in the world, or at least in the Baylor world, is reporting this as a commitment, and there's a lot of excitement. And then when you get information that says otherwise, you know, it's kind of um you're going against the flow when you report that you know, something is different than what, what everybody else is reporting. And so, right. but, but, but again, but that's what you did, you know, and I, I, I talked to uh, Craig Smoke on, on ESPN uh, Central Texas today, and I said, um, you know, basically uh, we, we see two sides to every story. A kid can say something, but it's our jobs to confirm with our sources that, that um, you know, it is indeed what the kid is saying is the truth. So, um, you know, you did a great job immediately reaching out to sources, and we basically found out almost almost immediately after his his tweets that that no, and not he had not committed that um there was still some work to be done, and mm -hmm. that um I think it was just a matter of miscommunication. Kevin, I liken it to going to a bar, maybe when back when you're single days, and and a girl's talking to you, and and yeah. you know you kind of think oh she's talking to me, she's smiling a lot, she really likes me. You know, maybe that's the case. Maybe he, um, maybe he misconstrued the coach's uh, exuberance about him as right. meaning he had an offer and wanted to commit. And another thing I said to Smoke is that, you know, these days uh, a lot of kids want the Baylor offer, and um, so they're going to act on it when they think they have it. So right. um, I think, it, I think, like you said, miscommunication, um, and not that we're ruling him out as a commitment. I think it could happen. It just hasn't happened yet, as you said. Yeah. I think we're probably several – the way I interpreted this from uh, vetting this stuff out a little bit more on Tuesday was I think we've still got a little ways to go here on, in this process with him. There's no doubt he's, he's a really good 
defensive back. I've not had a chance to, to watch him, but I did talk to our regional analyst, uh, Jason Howell, who has seen him in person. And Jason would put him right there with uh, uh, Somerville uh, in terms of uh, his ability. Uh, it's just that maybe Eric's one of those kids that just is starting to get his name out there. And obviously we'll, we'll get this out a little bit more as time goes on. Yeah, and, and, and you know, we've talked about it on our site and maybe in last week's podcast that just like the 2015 class, the 2016 class is going to be pretty small. Mm -hmm. Baylor's already got five spots filled up in that 2016 class. There could only be 10 to 12 more. So they right. have to be pretty careful about who they offer because, you know, someone might jump on the offer and, and it's still pretty early in the process to fill mm -hmm. up a class. I think the coaches have to be absolutely certain they want a guy in a class before they make an offer. It's not the days of just sending out bunches of offers and, and you know, hoping that a kid will have the interest. You know, it's the opposite problem right now. They have to be very careful with who they offer. You made the you made the good point, too, that I, Baylor's perception – I'm sorry, Stephen. You made the perception, though, uh, or the observation, Jake, that uh, the fact that kids now are wanting the Baylor offer, it's a far cry from where we were back in 2008 when our brows got here. No doubt. No doubt. And then I, and I guess as far as the, the two commitments are concerned that came down Friday, they got uh, Patrick Hudson, the offensive lineman from Silsby, to flip his commitment from Texas A&M, which was big. And then, of course, the one that came out of the blue was the Napa wide receiver, Trendavian Dixon, who's – I guess it would depend on which uh, roster uh, that has the height and weight on it that you believe I've seen anywhere yes. – I know Rivals has him listed at 5'11". I've seen one. I think we originally reported him as 6'1". So I think I'm just going to go maybe like six foot and about 170, and we'll just kind of go there. Uh, but, you know, the thing about these two kids is that, one, obviously Trendavian is uh, – Trendavian, Jake, and Steven, as you've seen over the years with our brows, this is typical of this coaching staff really mining the state, getting a really good look at all these kids, just – burrowing down into every single um, part where there's going to be maybe a decent athlete or maybe they get a tip on a kid or something like that and they want to go vet it out because that's how hard they work. And they find this kid and they, you know, the kid run, the kid has about 825 yards receiving last year has a 93 yard touchdown reception, caught a 75 yard touchdown pass in their first playoff game. This really reminds me of the Devin Chafin commitment from a few years back when he's up in Burke Burnett, and no one knew anything about this kid, and here he is playing college football last year. Stephen, you saw him firsthand. Where Devin rushes for 100 yards against Texas Tech at at AT&T Stadium. I mean, that's what it is about recruiting. You've got to find it, and you can't just latch on to the kids that are always out there. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the hard work, but there's also something to be said for an eye for talent, and, and Bryles clearly has it. I mean, it's going back to his Houston days too. He, he sees guys, and he, and he can pick guys out of film and, and watching in person better than your typical coach or better than your typical scout. Um, I think it's something that probably isn't learned. It's just natural, and, and he's got that ability uh, to, to really pick out guys, and especially especially with skill players. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, Patrick Hudson, I've got him. I show him listed at 6'5 and 330, <laughs> and going into his junior year, that's pretty outrageous. Yeah, his, his, doc, his doctors say he's going to be 6'10", 450 by the time he's a senior. <laughs> <laughs> that is, you're right, Stephen. That's just 
that's that's uh, amazing how big a, a junior to be can be. Uh, and, and but uh, you know, I think what people like about him though is not that he's just big; he's pretty athletic, and, and also extremely strong. I, I really think too that with kids like Hudson, you know, Baylor will has done such a great job of. Uh, of getting really quality linemen here. I mean, this goes back before Spencer Drango, but I also think that Drango was kind of the guy that kind of set the precedent or the bar, if you will, for other offensive linemen. And, of course, Baylor's track history of putting offensive linemen in the NFL has made a difference, too, and made an impact on these guys. And so getting a kid like from Silsby, uh, who was, again, already a Texas A&M commit, and they got him to flip, you know, obviously it made a big difference. Yeah, and, and I mean, you mentioned Durango, but I think it goes back before that. Um, you know, I know Jason Smith's career in the NFL has, has basically been a bust, but I mean, you take a guy who's a two-star tight end mm-hmm. and you make him the second pick in the NFL, uh, I mean, that's just a, a great recruiting pitch right there. And, you know, if, if a kid's coming in as a four-star or five-star, you know, Bryle says, you know, look what I did with the two-star. Imagine what I can do with you. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, and, and it's – just shows, um, you know, just uh, I guess what he has in his repertoire to recruit with now. Bryles just his 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 track record of, of of turning some unknown guys into into great players. You know, I think he's just telling them, look, you're a known guy. I can do even more with you. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Now, uh, sticking with the 2016 class, Rivals going to release its first rankings next week. Uh, any guesses on how Baylor's looking on that? Well, yeah, I think well, just talking about Hudson, we didn't even talk about Cameron Martin, but I I would have every reason to believe that both Cameron Martin and Patrick Hudson will be on the 250 list. Maybe one of those two gets into the top 100. Um, that's just how good how, how good these two are. Uh, I think Hudson may be a little bit more of a maybe of a, a, a situation where because of his raw athletic ability and the way he's been dominating at his level. And, of course, Silsby isn't as high a level. But nonetheless, a guy like Sills, a guy like Hudson, I think I, I would like his chances uh, to get maybe into the 100. I think Cameron Martin could be close to that. Um, but, I, again, my, my firm belief is that those two will be somewhere in the 250 at the very least. Um, and then the other question is going to be is, what do you do with Zach Smith? Because this commitment, remember, came out of nowhere mm-hmm. back in early June. And so everybody and their brother had to do do as much soul-searching or, if you will, digging to find out as much as they could about this kid. Maybe go watch him at some other camp. You know, all he went to was Baylor camp. So if you were going to be an analyst for whatever site you represent, you had to go catch him there or you had to go to Grandview to find out to look at his film. Um and then you've got uh, Kayshawn Somerville, uh, who's going to be looked at, and then Trendavian uh, Dixon, who will also figure into it. I have no idea where those two are going to go. My guess is that, you know, if one of their they'll either both be three stars, or maybe uh, Dixon because of his the fact that he's more of an unknown than anything else than Zach Smith, and he's so out of the he's his commitment and his notoriety is so much more recent than what Zach's was. I mean, the ever the rival staff, Jake and Stephen had about a month and a half to look at Zach. They've only had like three or four days, maybe less than 24 hours before they got going to look at Trendavion Dixon. So my guess is that Dixon probably, if he's a low, he's either a low three-star or he's going to be a high two-star, like a 5-4 or something like that. But we'll just have to wait and see. 
Yeah, and there's a chance he doesn't get rated at all. I mean, wouldn't you think if they don't? I mean, if if they don't have enough information on the guy, I, I don't know. I, I think it's more of an educated guess. Um, and I, I think you're kind of going out on a limb giving a ranking if you don't have all the information you usually do on other recruits. So right. um, I guess it wouldn't surprise me to see a guy like Dixon perhaps not get rated at all just because um, so fresh on the scene, like you said. Well, yeah, it, it, it really depends too, Jake and Stephen, how much film and how much talking that that staff, you know, that you know, Jason Howell, who covers obviously Texas for rivals, how much work he's been able to do as those meetings were going on this week to, to really do as much uh, work on, on Dixon. I believe that Dixon went to the Rivals Camp Series down in Houston yes, uh, back, in, back in March. And so, so that obviously, so that probably helped. Yeah. Uh, and, and so the fact that he got down there, so they got a look at him and saw him probably working, you know, for that three hour window that he was there. So maybe that was enough. And I'm sure the Baylor commit, given what Baylor's history is with wide receiver, probably plays into this. But again, do all, the fact that Baylor's his only offer it could be his only offer for the time being. We'll just have to wait and yeah. see. And we'll obviously, I think those rankings will come out maybe next week. And you know, rivals is typically, you know, they're going to have them out on like the top 100 on Monday around 11 o'clock central, then the 250 on Tuesday, and then the balance of the uh, recruits on that Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, talking film. The funny thing with Dixon is, is you you do a internet search for him, and I think the first 10 or 15 videos of him are all playing basketball. Um, yeah. the, the thing is, though, We're you know, five eleven, five eleven, or six foot one. He looks mm -hmm. closer to five eleven, just judging judging from watching this film. Right. But man, that guy is explosive. He uh, on the basketball court, he was wearing number one, and that's what Kendall Wright wore at Baylor. That's kind of who he reminds me of—a guy who's just extremely athletic, not big, but um, I mean, his 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 jumping ability is. Uh, is off the charts for a guy his size. He was throwing yeah. down dunks that that you know Kevin you used to do back in your day. Right, exactly. I mean that guy's that kind of goes without saying, doesn't it? So, <laughs> guys, you know one thing that we've been talking about how much Baylor's come up on recruiting in the last little while is that if you look at most of the big name Baylor guys right up to now, these have been guys that Brawls kind of got from other programs, they were cast off, or they were somewhere else. You know, uh, Bryce Petty was supposed to go to Tennessee. Uh, Lake Seastrunk was up at Oregon first. Oakman was at Penn State. Griffin was originally at Houston. Right. Now, Baylor's getting people because they want those people, and they're getting them first. Right. Yeah, I mean, in the 2014 class, um, you know, Katie Cannon was wanted by everyone, and so was Davian Hall. Um and, but I, I see your point. You know, maybe in the 2013 class, 2012 class, maybe you had one, two four-star guys, you know, maybe like a Brian Nance pick you over a bunch of other programs. Um, whereas, yeah, I mean, you're right. Some of the past guys, some of the, you know, Lakely Seastrunk is the highest-rated recruit to play for Baylor, yet, you know, he obviously didn't sign with Baylor out of high school. Um, right. But that is changing. And I, I, think, I think we'll see that when the 250 comes out uh, next week. Um, that you know, here are some high four stars, possibly a five star guys who uh, you know pick Baylor out of high school over really whoever they you know any school that in the nation you want to name maybe didn't offer but had interest and in, yet they pick Baylor. And one thing too is that uh, obviously maybe the balance of the 16 class could be impacted by what Baylor does on the field this year 
the Klein Stadium is a great selling tool. We've talked about that before. But again, I think Baylor, even if they don't win the Big 12 championship or get a chance to go to the Final Four or whatever, but if they have worst-case scenario, I guess, from a recruiting standpoint, eight to ten wins, something like that, maybe they're in contention until the, the, la the latter part of November or something like that, or maybe, the, maybe they you know, are, are nine and two going into the Kansas State game, still a chance to win the Big 12, and then they trip and fall and, and lose the finale against Kansas State. I'm just, again, I'm just throwing that out there for the sake of discussion. Sure. That if that were to happen, I still don't think it impacts. Of course, now the thing that might hurt is if they don't, if they completely have, you know, a really a, a major disappointing season and don't make a bowl game, that would be uh -huh. something to have everyone go. And again, I, again, these are just that, a hypothetical. Again, I mean that's 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 the apocalypse, Kevin. <laughs> right. That's the. I did that last week too, didn't I? But you know what I'm saying. I don't think it. I mean, I think that Baylor's established enough roots and enough credibility during this four-year run with four consecutive bowl yeah. games. No. And you know, and, and winning double and having two double-digit winning seasons, uh, including last year's BCS appearance, to to show kids we're here. Or in we're in the long run, and again, you can show them the Big 12 championship trophy. Not everyone wins a conference championship year after year, but you can show it to them now. Kids are tangible; they want to see this stuff. So it all kind of goes without saying. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Though I don't think they have to win a Big 12 title to keep these guys or keep the recruiting momentum going. Um, you know, they they've done enough already, and and frankly, I mean, I, I see this team's floor. I think their ceiling is 12 and 0. I think their floor. Is is really eight and four, maybe seven and five, if, if things just go horribly wrong. But there's just right. enough talent here, and I mean, we know we we've talked not on the podcast, but about what happens if Bryce Petty goes down. You know that that's that's awful to think about. But I mean, you look at the weapons they have around them. Bryles will find a way to make it work. Maybe not to the extreme that you know you saw with Petty last year, but he'll find a way to make it work. You're thinking three and zero oh in non-conference. Surely you can squeak out four or five wins even without Petty running yeah. your offense. But anyway, that's that's for our football segment. Let's well, yeah. But, and the other thing is too is that you know if um, you know it, and if having to reprove yourself after this four-year run was to be maybe an indictment or maybe a referendum on your program, then all you have to do is go look at Austin, a hundred miles south, where that program until the coaching change really underachieved and fell flat on its face. Uh, yeah. From based in 2010 uh, through, 2000, through uh, 2013. Yeah, yeah. With with supposedly really good looking recruiting classes. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm gonna switch it. I'm, we're gonna finish up on recruiting real quick here, and I, I want to talk about the 2015. We keep talking about 2016. That's a long way away. Let's let's talk about 2015 here. Um, you know, it, it's kind of slowed down a little. 2015, you know, we we'd gone along a long time without a commitment. Cameron Martin broke that up, but again, he's a 2016 guy, so it's been a while. Um, so I kind of wanted to talk about a wish list, I okay. guess, of guys that that, and I, I tried to make it um, a reasonable list so that you know it's not guys. Obviously, Malik Jefferson and 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 so so Jamaba would be at the top because they're awesome, but but you have to be reasonable too and think you know those guys are getting recruited by everyone. So my list, topping my list right now would be Darian Daniels because I think Baylor's in good shape with him. Um, you're seeing what the defensive line is doing for Baylor right now. I mean, we saw some of it last year, and I think we'll see it more this year, just how, how much of a good defensive line can change things for you. 
He's a defensive tackle out of Bishop Dunn in Dallas, so I, I, he's at my top. My second one, to tease a guy we'll be talking to later, it's Khalil Houghton. Uh, I think Baylor needs some, some playmakers in the secondary, and I like keeping a midway pipeline open. Obviously, they have Devontae Strickland, but, but Houghton is a guy that is getting more widely recruited, and would, but he'd be a great win for Baylor. Three, I mentioned him just now, Malik Jefferson. I know, like I said, he's getting recruited by everyone, but I think Baylor does have a good chance with him. Kevin, I know you talked to him this week. He said he wants to visit Baylor before the season starts, so, so Baylor's obviously in this. Fourth on my list, Holton Hill. I think he was, Baylor was the first to offer him, maybe the second after Houston. Uh, he's the Houston Lamar cornerback. You lost John Humphrey. That was a guy you had pegged at cornerback. This guy would be a, an upgrade as a replacement, if you ask me. I think he's a better prospect at cornerback than, than Humphrey was. Uh, fifth, Connor Dyer, the Mesquite offensive lineman. Um, just, you know, you see what Browse does with the offensive line. I think you always want to take a couple of guys every year on the offensive line just to keep that depth. Sixth, uh, Juco Diamison. Speaking of um, offensive line, he's a massive six foot eight, six foot nine offensive lineman. He's a guy I think he could slide into right tackle uh, next year, filling in for Troy Baker. He's going to visit for the SMU weekend, and he likes Baylor a lot. I mean, I could see a possible commitment then, but Arizona State's pushing hard, pretty uh, pretty hard too. After Meeson, I, I mentioned Jamabo, the uh, running back from Plano West. Um, I'd almost have him. I have him down toward the end of the list, despite how talented he is, just because Baylor is so deep at running back right now. I mean, you've got a great depth chart right now. You got Jermichael Hasty coming in, and then Cameron Martin after that. Running back, it, it's an embarrassment of riches right now. So you don't really need him, but I mean, shoot, you don't turn down a guy like that either. And my eighth spot, and I have eight because Baylor has ten commitments now, and we think this class will be about 18 deep. Uh, my last one is Kendall Sheffield. He's another guy who um, I, I think less of a chance than maybe a Jefferson or Jamabo, but a guy who's you know rated the number one cornerback in the state. He said positive things about Baylor. He's visited before, but uh, you got to think you know your work is definitely cut out for you, and um, it, it's it's going to be very tough to land a guy like that. So, Kevin, I don't know what you think about that list, if you think all of those are reasonable. you know. Um, I think the ones that I would go with is uh, I, I think they're in a decent position with with a Darian Daniels well out of Bishop Dunn. I think the question is going to be is do they really need to add a defensive tackle with the class? Sure. Uh, they need one. They probably could. If they take one, they're only going to take one, Jake and Steve. Yeah. So that's the one thing that they've got to be sure is that – if they take one, they're probably going to say, look, if we don't get X and if we don't get Y, that's fine. We can live without it and go on because we're pretty deep at the tackle spot anyway. Sure. The well, other Kevin, thing, well, Kevin, sorry, who, who else are they recruiting on the defensive line? Nobody, really. Well, this is really no, the only guy. And that's, and that, but that kind of goes back to the X and Y point, too. And, again, uh, you know, Kings of KK was, I think, one of the ones that they really liked. But since sure. he wound up committing to a that that's off the board as well. Uh, well, we think he's off the board, but um, <laughs> you never know. But but nonetheless, um, you know Sheffield. If you wanted to, if you wanted to have someone play poker, Kendall Sheffield would be your guy because he, number one, he's really hard to get a hold of. Number yeah. two, if you do talk to him, he says absolutely nothing. And, and three, he he knows we he probably knows what he wants to do. Yeah. Uh, but I, that he is going to just kind of run this, let this thing run its course. My guess is everyone's going to have to probably wait until 
again, this is total guess on my part. I think everyone's going to have to wait till February 4th next year to find out what he's going to do. I really think so. And the other thing is, you know, you mentioned Holton Hill. I think they would, they'll probably jump back into him a little bit more. Um, as far as the offensive linemen are concerned, you mentioned Connor Dyer and the Juco kids. Mm -hmm. Maybe one more out of those guys. And I don't yeah. know. And, and that's it, probably. And then, you know, the running back situation is interesting because – I think they still want to see how the how the Corey Dolphin. You know, I, I, as you were talking, I, I realized I, I left him out. Right, and, and that's okay. But uh, but at the same time, you know, with, with Corey Dolphin, you know, he visited Texas Tech last week in Lubbock, which was actually his first visit in Lubbock. It sounds like that went pretty well. Um, he's going to go to Texas A&M on I think a week from Saturday, August second. Mm -hmm. And again, we mentioned him last week with the interest in Florida, um, but I don't know if he's in such a hurry to make a decision. But he's the kind of kid that I don't think Baylor is going to have to. No, Baylor's going to wait for him. And to be honest with you guys, let, let's just say this: if Baylor winds up with 15 commitments or less for 2015, I think they're okay with it. I know they are. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that they would not have an issue of signing a really small class because you know how they like to bank these scholarships you know Jake you're Mr. Scholarship Tracker mm -hmm. they don't even have 85 on scholarship with this roster right now no, and, they're and they're probably and they probably banked a few so that they could award it to to, to some walk-ons for the 20, uh, 2015 season or 2014 season rather and but again just getting back to you know a, a, a kid like Dauphine I think they would like to see his situation play out first before they really Make a push for Soso Jamabo. I, I I would like to think. Yeah, I agree. Maybe, I agree. And I would like to think that maybe that they still would feel like that they can still kind of get into the window of opportunity with uh, Ronald Jones the second up at North McKinney. Yeah. Maybe even though he committed Oklahoma State, but well, I, I but you never know. Um, but again, I, I think that's something we'll just have to kind of see how it all plays out. Yeah, and I, I forgot to mention, I obviously I left out an important piece of information, but my wish list were for guys who have not committed to other programs. So right. um, that's why I left off uh, Delphine and that, and, and obviously a guy like Ronald Jones and anybody else who's committed. Uh, Jarrett Stidham, you know, he, he frankly, he'd be my number one right now still. And right. I know that, I know it's still a long shot with him, but I, I look at the 2015 season without Bryce Petty and, and Seth Russell and Chris Johnson behind and, and Chad President coming in, I think, you know, I, I'd love more competition and, and a guy who's who's that talented. I, I, I you know, I'd, I'd, I'd love to see Baylor make a run. But, again, my list was people who have not committed to any other program. Sure. And, guys, I, I'll just leave my final point on this is that, guys, I think Baylor's in a point right now with this recruiting class for 2015. It's kind of like the NFL draft, if you will, best player available. And Great if they, one. And if they can grab – whoever they think could be needed, whether it's going to be that defensive tackle or whether it's going to be that one offensive lineman or whether it's going to be just the out-of-sight playmaker, um, that will be everything. And, of course, Khalil Houghton, it, it kind of speaks for himself because Baylor's among his four finalists along with Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Texas Tech. Yeah. Okay, now, last question that I want to ask before we pop out of here. Any possibility of there being, say, a surprise? You know, Baylor, like, they got Byron Bonds, and 
nobody, he wasn't on anybody's radar. He came in, he's done pretty good. Uh, you think anything like that might pop up? Yeah, well, I don't have any specific names, Stephen, but it's a great question, and I, I think it's a, a question that will be answered during the course of the 2014 season. I mean, you often see schools, and especially, I think, Baylor, offer guys during their senior year, um, mm -hmm. maybe even late in their senior year, after they've had a chance to see them more in person and, and on senior game film. I mean, you look at Taylor Young, a guy out of DeSoto, um, and he really tore it up his senior year, and, and, and Baylor offered late and got a commitment, so... I think by the time this 2015 class is in the books and signed, I think there'll be a couple guys, maybe even more, who are in that class that that we haven't discussed, you know, any up until this point, because really Baylor hasn't offered them, and perhaps they're not quite on the radar yet. So yeah, yeah. I, I think there are definitely going to be surprises. Two examples, Jake, like you just mentioned, uh, was uh, Taylor Young. I think he committed to them like two or three days before National Signing yeah. Day uh, a couple of years ago. And then you have uh, Orion Stewart That's back, a, yeah. in, back in 2012. When Zach Sanchez flipped to Oklahoma, they immediately went after Orion. And what he turned out to be the hero of the TCU game with the tip yeah. ball that led to the interception. And well, so, yeah, yeah, Xavier Howard, um, a guy yeah. who's going to start at cornerback this year, he wasn't yeah. offered until after signing day. So, yeah, um, yeah I think, I think Stephen, you're right. There are going to be definitely going to be some surprises. Who, who they are at home, yeah. There aren't, there aren't a whole lot of new offers. I mean, they haven't offered a new 2015 guy in, in quite a while. It's probably been a couple months. Um, so I, I think new offers, you'll see those going out during the season. Probably. And I think the, la and the last and remember, the last commitment was the kid that I think that they offered out their June 8th camp in Montreal Wilson, the Keller Fossil Ridge Safety, who committed to them like 10 days later. That's, back right. in the That's the last new offer. Yep. Get caught up with the latest in Baylor recruiting, basketball, and football with Friday's Baylor Blitz, a weekly staple from SikkimSports.com. It gives you all the details from every recruiting side, football moves, and everything from basketball from recruiting to upcoming events. Sikkim Sports' Baylor Blitz, a Friday staple. It's been here since 2012, and it will continue to be here. Back here on the Sikkim Sports cast, Kevin Lonquist, we're joined by uh, Waco Midway 2015 safety Khalil Houghton and Khalil, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, let's talk a little about Khalil because you've been one of the spotlight recruits that Baylor fans have been tracking. Obviously, you've been tracked by several other schools' fan bases too, in Oklahoma, and Arkansas, and Texas Tech. Uh, you had an opportunity this summer to visit all four of these schools. Obviously, with Baylor, you've been to that campus several times, but just take us through the summer of visiting all these four schools and what you got out of those visits? Um, I mean, it hasn't been too busy, but, I mean, it's been a chance. Um, every time I visit those schools, it's a chance, you know, get around the environment, uh, meet the coaches, uh, build build more relationships, and just, uh, you know, time to take everything in, um, all the big and little things about all those different schools. Does it seem like to you, Kalila, that at this stage that you feel like you've got enough information on all four of these finalists to feel like you can start putting the pros in one column, the cons in the next column, and kind of going from there? Or how do you see that right now? Um, right now, I mean, that's basically what I've been doing, um, looking at every little thing, I mean, down to the, to the little details, um, just looking at all those things and just figuring out which ones uh, I put above others um, that I like more, that I dislike more, um, just putting all those in different categories into what I feel is I like the most. 
do, do you, and I ask recruits this sometimes, do you kind of feel, do you appreciate the position that you're in? I mean, because obviously you're gifted enough to play at the Division One level, but you're also gifted enough to play for programs that are competing for conference championships that are in the national championship discussions like Baylor and Oklahoma, uh, an up-and-coming program like Tech, a, a program that's trying to get back to where it used to be in Arkansas. Uh, to what extent do you look at that and say, I'm in a really, I'm really blessed to be where I am right now? I'm definitely blessed to be in an opportunity or to have the opportunity to choose um, these amazing schools. I mean, um, not everybody gets the opportunity. Some might choose between some smaller schools, but I mean, um, just that I get to choose between such great programs. I mean, every single program that's offered me, they're all great programs, and it's definitely a blessing to be able to choose um, between these between these great programs. Do do all of these schools, Khalil, look at you uh, in the same manner? How they foresee you being a part of their defense, or has anyone kind of given you a different different uh, viewpoint of how they might see you fitting in? Um, I mean, a lot of them, you know, they say they want to use me as a safety, and they say that they like me um, because I'm because I have that versatility that I can just um, play wherever on the field. I can play corner. I could do um, just about anything. You know, I can play man. I could play up. Um, so they definitely said that I could, that they could use me in many different ways in their defenses. Is, is it a more position there, like in Baylor's position, has it pretty much been this, the safety itself, or have they talked to you about that that bear position in that four two five, or that kind of like the nickelback, or that guy can be a run support guy, but he can also drop back into pass coverage as well? Um, you know, they said they mainly want me to be probably the cover safety or just one of those two safeties. I mean, they're kind of inter interchangeable, but um. You know, as far as being a bear, they didn't they didn't ask me. They didn't say they wanted me to play that, um, but just mainly those two safety positions. What do you look at now, Khalil? What do you think is last for you before you were to make this decision? You know, again, you're in this process of separating these pros and these cons. But what do you think is the next step for you before you really kind of move closer to maybe making this decision known publicly? Um, I mean, there's really, I mean, right now, you know, it's just making sure that the relationship I have with these coaches is something that I definitely want to um, continue for the next four years, making sure that it's okay. Um, I'm great. I'm okay with the coaching style, the staff, the fans. I mean, just everything, um, the big things like that. And then also as far as education, you know, what could, that could get me um, when I graduate? Because I know football doesn't last forever, so, I mean, that education has to be um, something that can back me up whether I get injured or whatever else happens. Have you – you know, you've heard from a lot of the fan bases from all four of the schools, you know, being on the social media or whatever, you know, saying, come to our school, we really want you to be a bear, yeah. we want you to be a Sooner, that sort of thing. How have you kind of dealt with that? Because social media is such a recruiting tool nowadays. So how have you tried to put that in its place? Um, I mean, you know, I kind of just – I kind of enjoy it. I mean, I kind of – I look at it, I'm like, oh, well, I appreciate that and everything. Um, I mean, it kind of is a big, huge – I mean, it's kind of a factor, I mean, because – um. The fan base is something that's really important to me. I mean, I think that, I mean, as long as you have those fans around you, encouraging you, motivating you, I mean, that just, that helps you, you know, get through college and just um, helps you know that you have the support from all your fans and everything. Um, but, you know, it's not too big of a, it's not too big of a factor. Um, as, so, yeah. By the way, do you have a, an idea of what you might want to major in in college? Um, I want to do probably somewhere around the sports medicine field, like physician's assistant, uh, but my dad's, you know, he's been talking to me more about, uh, he thinks I should get in the management uh, department, I guess. Okay. 
And then finally, Khalil, for you, uh, what would be a time frame when you think you might be? And you and I've kind of talked around this until it, where you were maybe you were at you were really kind of hoping that maybe you could make this decision right around this time. Obviously, that's not happening. But yeah. do you have any kind of better sense as to when you think you could be making this decision, or is everything still in flux? Where do you see that right now? Um, I mean, right now I'm probably uh, probably not in July. Um, probably more. Early August, you know, right before two days, we start two days, August 11th. So hopefully, sometime in between the, um, that early August area. Okay. Any last things that you probably need to do with all four of these schools before you make the decision, whether it be August 8th, 9th, the day that you start two days with Midway? What What do you think you need to do with each of these four schools before you really make that? Before you make that decision known. Um, I mean, just check all the things that uh really matter like if I wasn't playing football would I enjoy going there would that be a place that would benefit me um, even if I wasn't playing football I mean that's probably the best way you can look at it because um, I mean that's how you're gonna get the most out of any school um, as far as education networking um, base and just all that other type of stuff okay well Khalil we've always enjoyed visiting with you throughout your recruiting process we look forward to you know watching you in the coming weeks and however that decision comes down and uh, appreciate your joining us uh, on the Sikkim Sportscast today no problem thank you for having me that's Khalil Houghton everybody take a quick break and when we come back we're going to talk about uh, Kevin and I were up at the Big 12 Media Days on Monday and we're going to talk a little about that. Get caught up with the latest in Baylor recruiting, basketball and football with Friday's Baylor Blitz, a weekly stable from SikkimSports.com. It gives you all the details from every recruiting side, football moves and everything from basketball from recruiting to upcoming events. Sikkim Sports' Baylor Blitz, a Friday staple. It's been here since 2012, and it will continue to be here. Welcome back. Okay, Big 12 Media Days were Monday and Tuesday. Kevin and I were there. Kevin, what were your takeaways? Well, number one, uh, I think the conference really wanted to put its best foot forward when it came to their determination of a champion, calling the uh, calling their, their season one true champion, where all the other – uh, four conferences, uh, the Big Ten, the Pac-12, the ACC, and the SEC uh, all have a championship game in the first week in December to, to determine their champion, whereas the Big 12 does not. They have the, the traditional nine-game uh, nine round-robin format, uh, throwback, if you will, and I think they really put their foot forward on that, wanting to say, we like the way this method works. We think we're going to determine our best champion. And even if there's a tie with the same record, there will still be a tiebreaker that will send somebody on for the right reasons to potentially do the final four. I don't, the other thing that I think is, is that number, if you wanted to crystallize it is that one, um, I think Art Browse and Baylor still kind of feel like they're getting a little bit disrespected for who they are, even though their rankings, when the rankings come out in August, They'll, they'll probably be top 10, top 15 yeah. in both the major polls, the college, the coaches' poll and the writers' poll. Um, the other thing is is that, you know, they also talked about the fact that, you know, Bryce Petty didn't get invited to New York for the Heisman Trophy uh, 
presentation in New York last year. They also talked about the fact that they were picked second in the Big 12 media poll. Whatever angle Art can find, as we've seen him over the years, whether it was in Stephenville or at UH and now at Baylor, that he will still find the brass ring for his team to shoot for, even though a lot of people might have a different perception of him. And then uh, lastly, you know, it, it's from a conference perspective, uh, this is a big year. This is big years for, uh, for the bottom dwellers, if you will, for Iowa State, Kansas, and West Virginia. I think that all three coaches, and uh, Paul Rhodes at Iowa State, Charlie Weiss at Kansas, uh, Dana Holgerson at West Virginia, I think they all have to get uh, really – show some major, major improvement. West Virginia has been on the decline uh, for quite for the last couple of years. Last year, they just really kind of bottomed out. And I think that loss at KU was pretty much, uh, uh, it was pretty humiliating for them. Yeah. And then, of course, you've got Charlie Strong in Texas where he's, he talked about putting the T back in Texas, and that's trust, toughness, and togetherness. You know, everyone can use their play on words and that sort of thing. Uh, but I think that's the message that Charlie's trying to convey about his program and where he wants to take it. Uh, Bob Stoops feels very good about his program, feels very confident about it. And, of course, they're trying to get a, uh, a waiver uh, for Doriel Green-Beckham, uh, the transfer from Missouri, uh, to see if he can be ready for the season. Uh, and then, of course, Oklahoma State. You know, Mike Gundy, I, I've talked about this before. There's just some – I don't know why it is. I, I wouldn't call it a man crush on, on Mike Gundy. <laughs> but I just like the way Mike runs his team, and I just I just like the way that he handles himself. Even though he doesn't say a lot, he just has a way. He's built something there, though, guys. There's I think he's been there for yeah. ten years. Well, I, I really think. Yeah. Go ahead. Go I ahead. agree. Um, you know, I, I kind of see parallels between Gundy at Oklahoma State and Baylor uh, Bryles at Baylor. Um, I, I feel like Bryles has reached that same point where they're going to be consistently good, um, and then you hope to have some moments of greatness, too, mixed in. Um, you know, Oklahoma State had that with their Big 12 title, Baylor, last year. Um, I mean, I yeah, I, I'd be shocked if, if Oklahoma State drops to six wins or even seven wins. I mean, I think they just have enough momentum and have recruited well enough to be a, a perennial eight, eight, eight or more win team. Right. Well, you know, we Kansas State, even though you know uh, Bill Snyder could probably coach until he's 80 and still not feel like he's missing a beat. That's how tuned in he is and how sharp he is. Um, he's not 80 already. Yeah, well, he's like 75. Uh, He'll be 75 <laughs> this year, but but I, but you know what I'm saying? He could probably coach for another five years if he wants sure, to, sure. just because he's kind of of that mentality. Heck, I like doing it, so why stop? And then, um, well, heck, my grandfather worked until he was 89, until he retired, and so. Um, yeah, and, and then you've got you've kind of got the X factors in the conference with Texas Tech and TCU. With Tech, you obviously know what you're going to get with Davis Webb as your starting quarterback. There, there's still some issues on their defense that they've got to get solved. Um, and then the other thing with TCU, of course, the news that broke this week was the fact that the preseason uh, all con the preseason defensive player of the year and defensive lineman Devontae Fields uh, was involved. Uh, he's not been arrested yet as of this recording, but he's been separated from the program for a domestic disturbance issue. Uh, just from talking to a couple of guys over there uh, who covered TCU, it really does not sound like the Devontae Fields will ever wear a TCU uniform again. There could be a last moment, you know, moment where they sit, where he gets himself saved. But 
I think their general impression was given all that he's gone through, not only with the foot injury, which is unrelated, but remember he was a, he was assaulted back in January and didn't press charges against whoever it was that assaulted him. Yeah. Uh, and now he's involved in this. I, I just, as one writer told me about Gary Patterson's reaction to, to Devontae Fields, he said, because Gary's just over it. Um, and I think that TCU is, and the other thing about TCU, the final point about TCU, Jake, and then I'll let you jump in here, and Stephen, is you as well, is the fact that TCU, their offense, I, I just do not know who's going to be the playmaker in this offense. And you know, you could look at Trevon Boykin and Matt Jokel, who are battling for the starting quarterback position, but one of those starting one of those quarterbacks might be needed at wide receiver because they're about to because they probably have said goodbye to Brandon Carter, one of their wide receivers. Yeah. And then the running game is is a, is now a, a mixed bag. And again, when we've talked about this last week with the two with them changing offensive systems, Gary Patterson says that he's been waiting to do this for the last two years. Okay, that's fine, Gary. But do you really think that even by November first or even late October that this thing's going to click when your personnel may not be what you need it to be? Yeah, well, I mean, the, their big struggles last year were there was quarterback one, but their offensive line was pretty terrible. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's got to improve before anything anywhere else can improve. Uh, the running game wasn't good. I like some of their running backs. I like Catalan. I like Aaron Green. But um, it comes down to their offensive line. And, and uh, you know, they're, they're learning a new system. And, and, you know, they're putting a lot of hope in Jokel, um, a guy who's very inexperienced, one. And, two, he didn't, he's not arriving until the summer at TCU. So, um, I mean, he's basically learning a new system. Uh, maybe not too new, considering Cumbie, you know, with his ties to, to Kingsbury. They started learning a new system, but I, I think it's a total wild card, too. I think it was the right move for TCU. They needed to change things. I'm not sure it's going to pay off, and I think, like last year, they're going to ride on that defense heavily. Steven, you were going to say. Well, they're gonna, TCU's going to ride on the defense. Uh, when I was up there last year, talked to some of the TCU fans, they still absolutely love Patterson. His act has not gotten old with them, even though it has gotten old with some other people. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah. but his, since they came to the Big 12, there was a step up in competition, and TCU has not stepped up. Now, in fairness, they haven't been as good as they were back in the old Mountain West or wherever they were, but They've had a tough time dealing with the schedule in the Big 12. Sure, sure. Uh, also thinking about Texas Tech, and I know I've kidded about uh, Kingsbury a little bit, uh, and let's face it, I, the, the guy's good looking. I can appreciate that. Uh, but I noticed that we've had two quarterbacks transfer out. Who's on the depth chart behind Webb? Uh, you know, when you've got two guys that have started games that transfer out, I'm just wondering what's going to what's going to be the deal at Tech. And yeah, I, you mentioned that, and that's it. That's it. We're, we're going to talk about that in in our last segment because we're you know we're going to talk about our quarterback ratings for the conference. But a good tease to the next or to a, a, another segment. But yeah, I looked at Tech's depth chart after the spring and after Davis Webb was a blank. They literally have no other quarterback on. They had no other quarterback on the roster this spring. So, when I mean, we talked about what happens if Petty goes down, they're in a world of hurt if, if Webb goes down. So, um, 
I think their other option would be Patrick Mahomes, who, uh, who definitely came from yeah. House, and he was a mid-semester transfer. Or yeah. I'm sorry, he, he enrolled in January. But but nonetheless, are you really going to? It kind of goes back to Seth Russell to a to a higher extent because Mahomes is more green than Russell was when at this time last year. But you would be asking if if Davis Webb gets hurt, you are asking a true freshman who, even though he's been through spring ball and he's going to go through all the seven-on-seven -seven stuff during the summer workouts and this fall camp and that sort of thing, you would still be asking him to take your to take control of your offense. The joke might be on all of us here if Mahomes – I mean, he's got as good an arm and, and makeup as anyone would like. But, again, I, I know that Cliff Kingsbury would love to have – would love to keep Davis Webb upright for the entire season – because if it goes down, everybody out in Lubbock and wearing red and black is going to hold their breath if Davis Webb goes down and he doesn't get up. Yeah, and he's he's an aggressive player too. I mean, that's one of his strengths, but also could be a fault, uh, a weakness too. Is that um, you know seeing him last year, if if there was a play at the at the goal line rather than you know taking a knee a couple yards short, he was diving for it. So you know, I kind of wonder if, if Kingsbury tells him to tap the brakes a little because you know they they can't afford an injury to him. Um, and, and you mentioned Mahomes. He could be a world beater, but they had two outstanding freshman quarterbacks last year, and they both hit a wall. And that's why Tech lost their last five games of the season until the bowl game last year, is because it's just it's a, it's a hard position. And um, you, you know, Manziel and and Jameis Winston, they both did it as freshmen, but they had a whole year as a redshirt too. So true freshmen aren't just gonna they can't carry it on all season. I say can't. It, it's it's very very unlikely that they can. So okay. Uh, anyway, we we enough tech, enough TCU. Let's let's keep talking about some of that Big Twelve media days. I think Steve, you have some audio. I've got some audio from Bob Bowlesby. First, I'm going to play three quick clips about what Bowlesby thinks is coming up on the lawsuit and the compensation issues. The Big Twelve, the Big Twelve conference, and and several of other conference brethren are uh, defendants in seven class action lawsuits and so uh, and that number is is growing all the time okay now that's one he says well, they've got seven class action lawsuits i don't think that includes a bannon and he says it's growing all the time now here's his second clip and this one i thought was a little bit more ominous uh, change is coming uh, if uh, if you like what you see in intercollegiate athletics right now, um, you're, you're going to be disappointed when the change comes because it's coming. Uh, the scholarships are going to change. The relationship between student athletes and their universities are going to change. Uh, I expect that significant change will come in the area of recruiting uh, from, from the very earliest stages of the recruitment process through campus visits and, and the uh, declaration signing the National Letter of Intent. Um, okay, and in recruiting, he may be talking about the agents. Okay, now here's the final one where he talks about what, what he thinks is going to happen in order to fund the higher money for football and basketball players. Over a period of time, what we'll find is that uh, you know, instead of keeping a tennis program, um, they're, they're going to uh, do the things that it takes to uh, keep the football and, and men's and women's basketball program strong. Okay, reaction to those three clips. I'll start by saying that, you know, 
I would have, I, I'm not going to doubt what Bob Bowlesby said. I do think that the revolution, uh, or the, I should say the evolvement of college athletics continues. And I think the thing that I was talking about is that the potential of men's Olympic sports. I think he threw that out there as an arbitrary sport, but I think, but I also think too, his point was that more and more non-revenue sports are going to be in are going to be in trouble of surviving, which means number one, fewer opportunities for kids to compete at a Division One level, and a chance to go and a chance to have their college paid for by uh, by participating, whether they're with the, the golf team, the, the gymnastics team, the swimming team, or whatever. Uh, that is because you've got the money that could be tied into the football and the basketball scholarships, and if you if you look at that, and if you do move to a compensation model to whatever extent that vets out to be over the next couple of years, well, okay, if you're going to give football players and basketball players and women's basketball players a stipend, it goes back, despite the fact that your school, meaning Baylor, just took in $23 million for last year. But remember, that $23 million is not only paying for for upkeep of facilities, it's also paying for salaries of coaches and for for support personnel. So you might be looking at pennies on the dollar that could go into funding these scholarships for these non-revenue sports. And if the compensation comes into play for these kids on top of what the room and board is going to be with these student athletes, something's got to give. The money's going to run out somewhere and somebody's going to absolutely be left without a chair when the music stops. Well, I was talking to one of the Big 12 lawyers, Kevin Sweeney, and he made kind of an interesting observation. I said, is there a possibility that some of the schools uh, are just going to completely back away from collegiate athletics? And I, and I listed Rice as a possibility. And he said that he had talked to one college president, and he said, you know, I'd like to, but I don't know if I can. Because he said, I'm not sure the alumni will let me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, my, I have a different kind of perspective because I lived in Europe for a couple of years, where not only did they not have sports teams, you know, for their universities, they don't have mascots or anything. I mean, that's a foreign thing. This is so ingrained in our uh, culture and our society that, yeah, there would be a, a massive revolt if if a, if a university said it's going to drop sports, and that's going down to. I mean, like the Harden-Simmons or Abilene Christian. I mean, I think you'd see it at every level if they had to drop athletics. Uh, you you would see a revolt. I mean, that's where people take their pride. It, it, um, a lot of people, you know, have their based their self confidence on how their their college football team is doing. So, um, I so I can be somewhat of an alarmist when it comes to college athletics because I do agree with Bowlesby. There is going to be or there could be major change because of the lawsuits because of the money involved and the fact that none of it is going to the student athlete. But I just don't see such a change that college football as we know it is completely gone. I think um, they're going to have to work out some changes just because that that's what the public outcry is. But I, I yeah, like like you said, the, the president of whoever that lawyer spoke to, and they're not going to drop athletics. There, there would be a revolt and you would see donations go way down and we know how important donations are to universities. Yeah. I think Baylor's been setting uh, found, uh, uh, fundraising records within their uh, within the Bear Foundation. What what are we talking about now? Five, six consecutive years now, Jake. Something yeah. to that effect. Yeah. 
Um, so, I, and if you see that, and it, it goes back to Stephen, where your college athletic programs are kind of like the front porch of your house, meaning your university. So the question is going to be, okay, it, I know you use the example of Rice. You could even take it down to a smaller scale, like Jake did with Harden Simmons or maybe like a Louisiana Tech or southeastern Louisiana, where I think those schools could be hit really hard on it. And, you know, the other thing that Bob Bowlesby talked about was the fact that, you know, obviously the one that caught the most media play was talking about uh, cheating pays, which I know the media did an okay job, in, in, in my opinion, in the way they covered it. I, I think what was in, inappropriate was how Charlie Weiss and other coaches were asked about it because I think that the, the questions that followed for them were completely uh, somebody took something with it and ran uh, unethically with it, saying that it was just all over the place. And you know, Charlie made the comment saying that he said that. Well, I haven't seen it, which is we all know that's not true. But I, I think, what, but getting back to Bowlesby's point was, you know, because of the fact that the NCAA is such a weakened organization, and because of the fact that the NCAA fraction infractions committee has not met in a year plus. Kevin, let me go ahead and play that tape, okay? Okay. Yeah, fine. Uh, enforcement is broken. Uh, the infractions committee hasn't had a hearing in almost a year. And uh, it's, uh, I think, not an understatement to say that cheating pays presently. If you, if you seek to uh, conspire to circumvent the rules, uh, you can do it successfully and probably not, um, not get caught on most occasions. Yeah, I... You know, he talks about the infraction committee hasn't met. I made the analogy to someone. I said, it's imagine if you had the Longview police force governing or watching over Houston. <laughs> There's not enough people to go around right. for the size of Houston from the Longview police force. And that's what you have with the NCA. It's a, it's a, it's a governing body that is woefully unprepared to govern what college athletics has become. Um, and, and that's what you're seeing right now, and Bolsby spot on. And that that could be something else that 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 is, is the reason for change. Is because if you're going to have this much money going around, um, you're going to need a bigger police force, basically, to ensure that that there is. I mean, what sanctions did Mississippi State face for basically? It's been on the record for for trying to pay for Cam Newton. You know, right. wh what did they ever suffer? Nothing. Auburn, obviously. You know, we, we don't know what was said because nothing's been on the record there, but, um, you, you know, you have to wonder. But the, the, the main point is the NCAA, it's, they're just not, they're not prepared to, to officiate, uh, again, what college athletics have become. Well, and they also, severed, they also severely damaged themselves in the way they completely botched the Miami case and how that just – when the improprieties were made with one of the investigators who I think had a, had a connection or maybe was an alum of the University of Miami. I, I forget the specifics of it, so forgive me, guys. But nonetheless, the fact that I think that's where this whole thing started to blow apart on the NBA, excuse me, on the NCAA was the fact that, that Miami investigation, as bad as it was. And then remember the outcome of the Oregon investigation last summer. And when that came back, and it was such the littlest slap on the wrist with the whole Will Lyles incident and everyone just looked at me and everyone across America said really are you kidding and and so that's where this and I'm, I'm telling you right now I think Mark Emmert and the NCAA president is in a lot of trouble with his job I do not know if he at this time next year if Mark Emmert will be 
the, the president of the NCAA. If he is, it's only because he pulled off some major heroic act because <laughs> everything is conspiring inside of the organization and against him. Everything is crumbling, and the fact that they are slow to move everything and the fact that, it, Jake, you touched on the money angle of it being so – I really think that all these major television packages – have really just influenced everything to the point where schools are saying, if I'm getting 20-some-odd million a year to keep my program competitive, I darn sure better find a way to get that kid away from that school so I can start playing in bowl games in December and competing for conference championships and so forth. Yeah. Well, yeah. Let, me, let me throw one back out here. Let's go back. Pete Carroll, okay? Uh, the guy's head coach, the Seattle Seahawks, just won a world championship – SoCal paid the penalty. What did Pete Carroll pay in a penalty? You win, you go on to the NFL, or you know, if if you're talking making five, six million a year, how many people are going to cut corners? A lot, but, but see, even even guys, uh, Pete Carroll, they didn't even when USC was handed those sanctions, Pete Carroll was not even given a show cause penalty like. Uh, Chip Kelly was at Oregon when Chip had left to take the Eagles job. Mm -hmm. And so at least, you know, and everyone kind of laughed at that because it was like, well, he just left. And so even if he comes back, I'm, you know, that's just kind of the, that's all kind of fun and games too with the show cause stuff. And, you know, well, I mean, because I can even take it a step further. Show cause, I mean, Bruce Pearl's back. I mean, Bruce yeah. Pearl was a show cause coach at Tennessee when he got fired with all the recruiting – allegations and issues that he had at Tennessee, and he's back at Auburn. So the fact is, is that in whatever Auburn did in order to win, the, to make sure that they could get it right, do you think in its current state that the NCAA was going to deny that? Absolutely not, because if they did, they were going to continue to slight, you know, cut their own throat with this. And that organization, although I do not see the NCAA dissolving, I do think this part of the change of Bob we spoke of is the fact that the NCAA in perhaps five to ten years is going to look so far different than what it looks like now. Well, it needs to. Yeah, it needs to. But I don't know what that what that end result is going to be. Is that going to be where it's going to, or they're going to find the infrastructure in order to become a better enforcement type of organization if they catch somebody cheating or if they work on a tip, are they going to absolutely streamline all these regulations to make sure that everyone's playing on the right, on the same page? Look, the NCAA is not going to go out of business because they, I think they reported record revenues this year, and the NCAA basketball tournament is their biggest moneymaker, mm -hmm. over a billion dollars on that. So it's going to, you're going to have to find a way to really kill it um, and really find a way to do so. I just think that the NCAA, again, what we're going to see in about five, ten years is far different than what we see now. Yeah, well, I'm hoping we quit seeing stuff like them arguing about whether or not you can give somebody cream cheese with their bagel <laughs> while, you know, while somebody's getting 200000 in compensation right. on, on the side. Uh, you know, that, that's where, you know, the, that's the classic, you know, swallow a camel and strain out a gnat. Yeah. Yeah. No question. And I think it came – Maybe during the breakout session, or maybe it was when Art Riles was speaking, but about the non-conference schedule, and and you know, based on what we talked about online, and even you know, an email and over the phone, I think we all have kind of differing opinions here. So, 
Uh, I'm kind of curious, Kevin, what your your opinion is just about uh, you know Baylor's strategy with its non-conference schedule. Basically, that strategy being play teams you can beat by 50 to 70 points. Because <laughs> that's what's probably going to happen in these first three games against SMU Northwestern State. Yeah, Buffalo, the Buffalo game might be a little bit tricky, but I still would find them to win that game pretty comfortably. Yeah. You know, I've always believed – this is just my own philosophy. My belief about non-conference scheduling is that your first game should be against somebody like a Northwestern State or a really, really bad – Division one program, for the sake of discussion, I'll throw out a UNLV or somebody like that, just so that, or North Texas or New Mexico State or somebody like that, to kind of like, treat it like your exhibition game so you can work out your kinks. Mm -hmm. And then your second game should be against somebody who you know you can beat or feel pretty confident that you can beat, but they'll probably give you a better push. Yeah. And then your third game before you go into conference season could be a game that could be like a 50-50 game. Uh, maybe from Baylor's standpoint, if you if you want to take it from that perspective, maybe your first game is against a Northwestern State. Maybe your second game is against SMU in that or like that. And then maybe your third game is against, you know, maybe an Oregon State, uh, yeah. something like that, who, who who's a pretty solid program. They've won their fair share of games over the years, and they, they push you until you get going. That's how I've always felt. Obviously, Art Bryles and Ian McCaw have been – been in lockstep with their belief that the mm -hmm. out-of-conference schedule is not going to play a, much of a factor in determining if you are good enough to go to the Final Four. It's going to be if you go 9-0 and in the Big 12, which in Baylor's case that would be winning in Austin and winning in Norman, that that would be good enough to get you to the Final Four. I can't disagree with that because more than likely, and again, the way this is going to work out too is that if Oklahoma and Texas have good seasons, and it's kind of like the selection committee looking at the criteria, if those teams have good seasons beyond after Baylor's done playing them, uh, then it helps Baylor's case. It strengthens Baylor's case. You could have Oklahoma still wind up in the top 10 with one loss. You could have Oklahoma State as a top 25 team. You could have Texas. If they're healthy and they kind of get their act together a little bit on offense, be a top 25 team. Kansas State, very much a possibility as well. Yeah. So there's enough there. Now, now Bob Stoops takes it a different way because Bob likes to play a really strong uh, out of conference. He kind of Bob kind of follows what I've what I've believed. Now, when they made the series with Tennessee, I think they were of the belief that Tennessee was going to be better, but but the Vols are still probably not there yet. But well, no one's going to penalize you for scheduling a Tennessee, and they're bad because right. you're still scheduling a Power Five team. And one right. that has really strong history. Um, no one's going to fault you for that team being being bad now. They're going to reward you for for having the guts to schedule that. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, Stephen, I want to hear what you think first. Well, uh, I feel kind of like John Goodman and the Big Lebowski. Am I the only one around here who thinks Art Bryles knows what he's doing? Uh, <laughs> you know, he's. Uh, I. If I was going to have a statement, I would say, uh, you know, maybe you know they could go out and find a team from a P5 conference that isn't a threat, say, you know, Colorado right now. Kentucky, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there, it's a P5 and it goes away. Mm -hmm. But I also think that you know, Baylor's won one Big 12 title. Uh, you know, year before last, they gave up 70 to West Virginia. You know, this is not, Baylor's not a blue blood yet. And I think 
that say like 2016, if the recruiting classes keep going, I think they might start scheduling a tougher out of conference. But I think and, and, right now, Bryles still wants, uh, you know, he wants to win, but I think he's going to try to grab every advantage he can. And, you know, it was just four years ago that we were absolutely thrilled that Baylor was, you know, going to Houston to play, I think, Illinois. That's right, yeah. Right. So, so, you know. Yeah, I agree. You're, yeah, I agree. It's a good board. It's not a birthright for Baylor yet. You're, you're very right in that Baylor is still emerging. I don't know when the process will be complete, but emerging from, you know, it's the worst patch in its, its, its history. And so, um, you know, obviously your philosophy is going to be shaped by that. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of on both sides. I see. I think Bryles is right. I think if you go undefeated in the Big 12, you're going to get to the, to the Final Four, especially with his non-conference. I also agree with the critics that, you know, if you go eight and one in the Big 12 and win it all, then your non-conference is going to, is going to penalize you because if you're look, if you know, the committee's looking at two 11-1 teams, both of them have a loss in October to a good conference team. But yet that that team B, you know, beat a pretty decent non-conference schedule. They're going to get the edge. So, you know, I see both sides of it. What it comes down to me is that, frankly, I think Baylor is now better than what their non-conference shows. I think they've gotten to the point where this is no longer, um, frankly, it's no longer acceptable for if you want to say you're you're a national champion aspirant that you are a team that's going to win the Big Twelve. And I think you're better than playing uh, Lamar, and you're play better than playing Northwestern State and uh, Incarnate Word. I mean, frankly, I, I, you're just you've risen above that level. And I'm not asking you to schedule Alabama and Stanford or whatever. I think the schedule at Buffalo and SMU is fine. Where you get in trouble is when you have that FCS team in the mix too. Right. If if Baylor had Louisiana Monroe, Buffalo, and SMU, I'd probably be okay with that too. I think they've reached a point, though, where they're above what they're scheduling and, and you need to include another Power 5 uh, team in there. And frankly, I don't I don't see many fans of Baylor getting upset if they do. Um, I, I know I would rather watch, um, we mentioned Illinois or Kentucky or Colorado or uh, Oregon State. I'd rather watch all those teams over Northwestern State. I'd rather see Baylor pull off a 45-30 win rather than win 70-10. to 10. Because one, I think it's more entertaining, and two, I think it's better for the team to go through some early season um, maybe trials. And they're not going to go through them this year. I know they're on the road at Buffalo. Uh, I mean, you saw what they did with them last year. Not much is going to change there. I think SMU is a decent team, but if the Bayer that we saw last year shows up, it's it's not going to be close. <laughs> SMU is the only uh, team in non-conference that the average fan even knows who their mascot is. Right. I think, you know, I, I, I'll leave it at this, and then we'll move on. Is I, I think Baylor's non-conference schedule, or Baylor's entire season, is going to be the litmus test for all of college football. I think everyone's going to watch this. And if Baylor run, you know, puts itself in a position to be in, the, um, and to be in the mix for the Final Four and gets selected for the Final Four based on the schedule that it – it will have played in 2014, then you're going to see a lot more schools like at Alabama, like a USC, like a Clemson in South Carolina going, we're running that way to get those guys because we just saw where somebody 
who is in a Power 5 conference get to a Final Four because September didn't matter, October, November did. That's an excellent point. You, I mean, if, if, if you can get away with it, then there's no incentive for playing a tough non-conference schedule. You're right, if you can get away with it. Because, frankly, you know, as we know, the Big 12 is going to be average to great every year. It's never going to be bad. Right. SEC is in way. Um, you know, I, don't, I, I Pac-12, maybe. ACC, maybe Big Ten. But I think you're right. I think that's a, an excellent point that um, if Baylor goes 11-1 and one and that one loss is, say, at Oklahoma, they're Big 12 champions and they're in the Final Four, ADs are thinking, you know, or coaches, why am I going to put this on the line if, if it's not necessary? Right. And, and again, and the final point, too, is that not everyone's going to do this. I mean, obviously, Oklahoma's already got non-conference, has already got future schedules with, with Michigan, Nebraska, um, that are already set up in stone. So they're, they're not going to get out of those contracts. And I don't think, you know, proud traditional programs will do that. But you might see the Oregon State's, and the Colorados, you know, if for some reason those teams that year catch light in the ball, that they might be a little bit more prone to move in that direction. Yeah. This week's podcast, talking about a story currently on Sikkim Sports, uh, position ranking series. We're going to start out with the quarterback, and I bet I know who comes out number one. Jake, who do you have? Well, it's not even a debate. Obviously, it's Bryce Petty. And, um, you know, we're – Kevin came up with this idea, uh, you know, let's let's go through each position um, and rank the Big 12 team, see who has the strongest unit at each. And I'm glad we started without a quarterback because I feel like if you can judge a quarterback per team, then you can almost judge the team itself. And when I came up with these rankings, I, you know, the way the rankings fell almost ranked exactly how the Big 12 media voted these teams. Uh, the teams at the top, all had better quarterbacks. The teams at the bottom all had question marks at quarterback. So um, a good quarterback is kind of – or a quarterback play is basically symptomatic of how your team's going to be this year. So, yeah, I had um, Bryce Petty, no drum roll needed. He was at the top of the list. Um, I, 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 interesting note so that he's – you want to go with Matt Jokel? <laughs> he's second. <laughs> no, not really. Um, <laughs> yeah, good try. No, I had, I had Petty – um, and just as everybody on this earth, even in Salem, Oregon, would have Petty at the top. Um, and if y'all missed that, Art Bryles had a comment that you know Petty's a household name. Even if people in, in Salem, Oregon know football, they know Bryce Petty. And, uh, I don't know if you saw that. And then a, a a radio host in Salem, Oregon, asked people at Dairy Queen if they knew him, and, and people said they didn't. And anyway, it was. I hate it was, when they uh, do that, though. That's so obnoxious when the media does <laughs> it. it. Like it's like. <laughs> It's, it's, it's such gotcha reporting. I know we're, we're deviating off the beaten path here, but it's such ridiculous gotcha reporting. Uh, these kids don't, these people don't know who Bryce Petty is. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's just a regular statement. It's supposed to kind of just exactly. put some visual into the statement, you knucklehead, you know? No, it was, I, I agree with Hart. You know, he, he, if you know college football, you know Bryce Petty. This is July, though. There's there's no games to talk about. You can't talk about who beat who on Saturday. All you can talk about is speculation. So that's kind of what you right. get. That's par for the course for this month. Anyway, yeah. I had Bryce. I had Bryce Petty number one. Mm-hmm. After this is where the debate begins, and I know Kevin and I already differ. Um, I have uh, Davis Webb second, and the reason I had him is, I mean, he he missed some stretch of the season last year. 
um, with, with Baker Mayfield playing some too. But for the most part, from start to finish, he had maybe the, the second or third most consistent season of any returning quarterback. And I'd say second, if, if it wasn't him, it was Jake Waters at Kansas State. Um, so I had Davis Webb second. Ahead of Trevor Knight, a guy that most people probably have second, but I looked at his numbers and you take away the Alabama game. Say for he for some reason he's injured that game, you have Oklahoma is not going to be number one in the preseason Big Twelve. I guarantee it. They are number one partly because they get Baylor at home, but mostly because they just whipped Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. And I'll give them that they were the far better team that day. And they also beat Oklahoma State in the regular season finale. But I think a lot of people are kind of jumping the gun, and he may turn out to be great, but there is still not enough proof for me to put Trevor Knight over Davis Webb, especially when you have Davis Webb, a guy who's got – he has to carry that offense. They don't have much of a running game, uh, whereas Oklahoma has Joe Mixon coming in, the top running back in the nation according to rivals. Um, they're going to have much more of a running game than Tech, so I think Webb's going to put up big numbers. Um, after after you know Petty, then Webb, and then Knight, I had Jake Waters at number four. I really consider putting him second overall. He's a senior. He's a JUCO guy, so he's he, he's had a lot of experience. And um, Kansas State is just such a, a sure thing under Bill Snyder. So I thought about him second, but then I you know kind of remembered that Kansas State does not put the, the onus on their quarterback like some of the other schools do. He'll get his numbers, but they want a balanced offense, so his numbers might suffer a little of that because of the system he's in. So I had him at fourth. So Kevin, you agree? I mean, I know you disagree with the top four, but would that be your top four as well? They would be my top four. The, the, the only reversal that I would have had is I would have put Trevor Knight second behind Bryce Petty and then Davis Webb third at Texas Tech. You, you, and, you'd be wrong on purpose. Right. <laughs> but, well, I'm going to admit to you, look, you know, you can argue the point of where Davis, where Webb had the good numbers against all these teams and had a, and had a stronger season, percent, and you can throw in the percentage numbers uh, or saying that Trevor Knight threw, had completed, what, 42% of his passes or 40, had 42% of his uh, season in that one single game against Alabama. Yeah, yeah. But my point about Trevor Knight is that, and again, Bob Soups was going back and forth this year about, or last year, trying to get the quarterback position settled, which he never did. I, maybe it's just kind of an it factor for me, Jake, if nothing else. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of like Sparky Anderson, the, the, the late Detroit Tigers Cincinnati Reds manager, who kind of loved to manage off a of field rather than having all these numbers thrown sure, at me. Sure. And my opinion is, is that I just think that Trevor Knight is really going to be a very solid quarterback. I still think there's some question, and again, I would be contradicting myself, but I've got to say it, but I didn't pick Oklahoma to win the conference championship because he didn't have the track record. Bryce Petty does, and yeah. Bryce Petty, I would, I, you know what you have in Bryce. You don't know what you have in Trevor Knight. That being said, I think that Trevor has got such a command of things, and he is coming off a very solid spring season, and I – you know, and if Bob Stoops is going to be talking talking about his quarterback like he has with Trevor, I don't think Bob's blowing a lot of smoke here. I think Bob really believes what he sees there. And with Davis Webb, I, I, again, with Davis, you know, with Tech's offense, which can be somewhat annoying to watch, um, but I think in some respects, I think with, with, with Webb, though, 
you know, he's a guy that I still think there are some parts of his game that I'm bothered with. I don't like his footwork very much. Yeah. I think there's a. I think arm strength is still up and down on that. I look. If Trevor Knight is completing touchdown passes against against Alabama, which is producing NFL corners in the draft, and Davis Webb is doing this against other player other teams. I'm not knocking the talent level in the Big Twelve that he was facing. Against. There's just it for me. It's just a feel with, with Trevor Knight number two, Davis Webb three, Jake Waters four. You know, I think you and I both agreed as David Ash at Texas number five because yeah. I mean, David Ash can be really good when he's healthy. The problem for David Ash is he hasn't been healthy at all. Yeah, and, and it's funny. A lot of people on our website, you know, kind of wondered about, you know, why why um, Ash was so high. But I, I, I do think they forget that, you know, he was a good quarterback when he was healthy. Yeah. Um, he just wasn't healthy at all last year. Both so. quarters. Yeah, both quarters he was healthy. He was good. Yeah. <laughs> I think the the thing to me between uh, Knight and, and I don't you know once you get below four who cares uh, I think that, <laughs> uh, seriously I, I think that, that when you're talking about Knight and Webb where I think the big difference is going to be is can Stoops find the handcuff keys for that transfer receiver from Missouri and get those handcuffs off of him because right now I think Webb has better receivers to throw to than Nat does. Yeah. Of course, they, of course Tech did lose. Of course, Tech did lose a pretty good, uh, you know, ball a possession guy in Jason Morrow. Well, and they um, also lost Eric Ford. He lost his top two receivers from last year, so right. um, and, and, they, they have to bring in some guys. I don't think I don't think Green Beckham's going to get a, a waiver to play this year. I just can't imagine that happens. Well, if he does, then it goes back to the NCAA uh, in terms of their enforcement and all that other stuff, but that's another discussion that we just said. If, if they yeah. do, the conspiracy theory about them favoring the Blue Bloods is definitely true. I mean, you look at Sean Oakman, same same situation, kicked off the team, comes to Baylor. He actually came to Baylor when every Penn State transfer was getting a free pass to be eligible immediately. He right. wasn't. So uh, if, if he's immediately eligible, then there there's – more wrong within the NCA than we even knew because, yeah. <laughs> you know, th there's no reason he should be eligible this year. Right. But let's get back to the quarterbacks. Um, yeah. I, I agree, Stephen. After five or six, it kind of doesn't matter. Um, the way it will matter is if uh, for teams to be bowl eligible. Um, obviously, Oklahoma State, I have J.W. Walsh ranked sixth out of my quarterbacks. They're going to be bowl eligible. They're going to make the bowl. Mm -hmm. After that, it gets a little dicey. Um we talked about Matt Jokel at TCU. Um, you know, if TCU makes a bowl, they're gonna. It's it's it's. They're basically the opposite of Baylor. You know, they rely on their defense and hope their offense comes through. Whereas Baylor you know, relies on the offense, hopes the defense comes through. You know, TCU needs needs someone to grab hold of that position because, you know, Trevon Boykin is is. Trayvon Boykin is starting again. They're you know it, they're gonna see a re repeat of last year. Uh, you know, Clint Trickett, I have him, West Virginia, eighth. He's a guy who I think he is all heart or 99% heart and 1% physical ability. He reminds me of Case McCoy. Yeah, uh, that's a good comparison. You give him an A for effort, but, you know, it's almost funny to watch him sometimes. I, I agree. I think he's a little more gifted than Case was. Um Case had no reason to be out on a Division One field or, or a major team's quarterback, but yeah, I think I think it's a good comparison. A guy who 
gets the absolute most out of his ability because of his uh, desire to win. And, you know, Trickett engineered partly that upset of Oklahoma State last year, which helped Baylor win a Big 12 championship. So um, at nine, I had Iowa State. They haven't named the starter. Um, does it really matter? Uh, Ten, I have Kansas. Um, man, they. I, I think it's going to be Charlie Weiss's last year, partly because of his quarterback situation. We saw Cozart come in against Baylor, I think, for the fourth quarter last year, and um, he looked like a re- he looked like a receiver or a running back. He didn't look like a, he did not look like a quarterback. They, they're going through some changes with their offense, where I think they're going to emphasize passing even more, and that does not suit his. Uh, you know, that does not work for the strong suit. So, I was thinking you mentioned TCU. If this season's bad, do you think Patterson? has a problem, or do you think he's still solid enough with him? I think he's solid. I think if they miss a bowl game, then there will be some heat because, you know, what people all always said, critics, and I think a lot of the times it was unjustified, but still I think critics said they're, they're winning because they're in an inferior conference. Um, I look at their, uh, their, their team two seasons, I guess that was two, 2010. That, that team would have won the Big 12. Um, they were that good. Um, so I think part of it is they've had injuries, they've had idiot players making stupid mistakes, um, and then they've had to play a schedule where there is no let-up from mid-September through the end of, you know, early December. So I think I think there will be forgiveness, but it won't last long if they miss another bowl. I think if they miss, guys, I think that, uh, that Gary – may get the dreaded vote of confidence, kind of like what uh, Dana Holgerson got from Oliver Luck at West Virginia, saying, yeah. you know, we really believe in him and all that kind of stuff, but you, but it's hint, hint, you better get that team to a bowl game. Yeah. I don't think Gary's there yet because, the you know, TCU's track record is, is, has deeper roots than what West Virginia's done over recent years. And I think the reason why, Wal- even just to segue to Holgerson, I think the reason why Holgerson caught a little bit of heck was because, you know, that, that team with Dino Smith that got off to such a fast start completely imploded uh, in the yeah. second half of the year. That loss at Texas Tech just got that whole thing upside down on them in 2012. But as far as the TCU is concerned, you know, uh, look, Gary Patterson has to face it that he is recruiting all, also at a far different level now than he did at any other point. He could get the kids who maybe were on – the Texas Tech and Baylor and UT radars, and maybe they had an offer, but they weren't high enough on these other kids' boards, and Gary found a way to get those kids. And credit to him, he found a way to manipulate that system and get Max out of those wins. You don't beat Wisconsin in a Rose Bowl uh, because you just kind of lucked your way to do it. They earned all that. There's no question. But that program has changed now because you got what you wanted to go into a BCS conference. Well, now with that comes with the responsibility of trying to recruit. I think that TCU has had to recruit a little bit differently because the kids that they are going after now, you know, TCU on a day on a one-shot deal with their lineup and with their roster in recent years, yeah, they could take out a Texas Tech and they could take off. They could take out a Wisconsin. They could take they could win at Clemson. They could win at at what at, at Virginia. But when you're going back to back to back with Baylor and Texas and Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, that wears your team down because in past years, if you got Clemson, well, then you got offset by playing UNLV or Colorado State. Yeah. People, people my who, argument on strength of schedule. Yeah, for the people yeah. 
you know, for the people who will have access to to this when we put these on iTunes and we'll hear this point and maybe have purple and white affiliations, they may they may bristle because well, you're the Baylor guys and you don't know what you're talking about. But facts are facts. You are going back to back still with Oklahoma State and Texas and Oklahoma, Kansas State. Yeah, Iowa State and Kansas and Kansas or and KU aren't that great. And you said, but you got to mix in Texas Tech too. That's hard. It's really yeah. hard to do that. And if you, but it, by, by comparison, if you are playing, you know, back in the day when they when they were in the same when they were in the Mountain West with Utah, they had Utah, BYU, and then they had six other guys named Herb on that in that <laughs> in that conference that they could play. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You, know, you, yeah. Could, you had you had Utah and BYU separated by Air Force. Colorado State, UNLV, New Mexico, Wyoming, that sort of thing. Teams that would give you the push, but you'd still find a way to win the football game. But they weren't taxing on you like Oklahoma State and Texas and Texas Tech are. Well, after. I mean, we saw Baylor almost run out of gas last year. Um, they did. I mean, the offense, the offense wasn't the same in the second half of the season as what it was in the first. And, you know, a lot of that people say was injuries. Well, that's what happens. Teams get injured. That's what guys he, are running, yeah. They're running full speed at each other and hitting each other as hard as possible. So, yeah, there's going to be injuries. You know, the difference is when you're an injured team, a little banged up, you know, now you're playing Oklahoma and Texas or, or even West Virginia, Iowa State, like you said, instead of a New Mexico or UNLV. So it makes a difference when you're, you're, you have your second stringers in against Big 12 competition. Um, so I don't know how we turn this into a TCU segment, but – uh, that was my fault. Uh, <laughs> That's a podcast. It can go anywhere. When you looked at Oklahoma and Oklahoma State and Texas and Baylor on the last day of the season last year, you were looking at four tired teams, and, I mean, it was the 15th round of heavyweight bouts. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was a battle of wills. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt about it. I mean uh, – you know, you're talking about your your all-conference left tackle not playing, all-conference inside receiver not playing, all-conference middle linebacker, you know, all-conference uh, running backs, plural. Um, you know, Baylor was not only tired, they were they were hurt. Um, you know, Shock Linwood, we shouldn't have seen anything out of him last year. If all goes well, uh, you know, Lake, Lake Seastrunk and, and Glasgow Martin are rushing for 1,000 yards apiece. Mm -hmm. And... and Linwood's an unknown, but that's just not how football works, as we know. And um, you know, I think that that uh, that's been a uh, slap in the face of reality to TCU and West Virginia too. I mean, they they were coming off with an Orange Bowl win. Um, you well, know, when they joined the conference, Clemson. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and that you know, they they um that that first stretch of 2012, Gino, you know. Gino was the uh, the consensus Heisman winner at that point, so um, right. just a, such a big difference. Um, so I don't know how we close out this quarterback ranking. I guess other than to say that this this positional series will continue on. We're going to rank every um, every unit. Uh, Kevin, I think you're up next on uh, Friday, or maybe it's tomorrow, today. Actually, I, think, I think tomorrow I got the running backs. Yeah. Well, I hope you've done your homework. Uh, it's it's forthcoming, <laughs> and then so. we'll we'll skip Friday, and then Saturday we'll resume. Um, I think we're doing all offense, and then we'll switch the defense. So uh, 
right. something to look out for if if you're a member of Sikkim Sports, and if you're not, um, you know, maybe we encourage you to check us out. Looking forward to it. All right, y'all take care, and we will see you next Thursday on the Sikkim Sportscast. The Sikkim Sportscast is an independent opinion and analysis-driven program from the staff and does not represent the views or opinions of either Ron Nichols or Yahoo. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.